This is African historian and author Emmanuel Kulu Jr. from Buffalo, New York, representing iBlackPharaoh.com. And I am with Us People Podcast with Salvia Rocks. Welcome to another episode of the Us People Podcast. I'm your host, Savio Rox, and today I'm humbled to have Emmanuel here with me. Emmanuel is an African historian and a best-selling author of I, Black Pharaoh, Rise to Power. Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming on the Us People Podcast. How are you? I am very well, sister. Thank you so much for having me. You are more than welcome. Thank you so much. So, my first question for you, and I love asking this question because it gives me a history of who you are as an individual. Emmanuel, can you tell me a little bit about where you were brought up and what was your background, but how that influenced you to be the person who you are today? Well, yeah, just a little bit about myself. My father is from Cameroon uh, in Africa, just uh, just below uh, what we call today Nigeria, the Benin State. And uh, my mother is from Chicago. My mother was affiliated with, yeah, she's affiliated with the, uh, with many different movements, uh, anti-racist movements, um, civil rights movements as well. Uh, she's even affiliated with the Black Panthers. So I had a really pro-Black mother and I had an African father. So that was like the origins of my family. When uh, my mom and my dad linked together, they had six of us. Um, so I have six brothers, wow. six brothers and sisters. Uh, we have very, uh, very big family. I also have a stepsister, uh, stepsister, stepbrother, and uh, you know, we just were raised with that great pride of our African ancestry, yeah. um, which in the U.S. many of of the African Americans don't have that connection to Africa. So I was very blessed to have my father to teach me about the great history of antiquities when it comes to ancient Africa, when it comes to um, uh, African-American history, that was my mother. So she was very a very much of a pro-Black woman who instilled in me the pain that happened in transatlantic slave trade. So I share in both sides of the pain and the joy of our royal ancestry and slavery as well. That's amazing. How is it for you being at mixed cultures? So I know that you have a strong black woman as a mother who is installing you, you know, the the roots of where you come from. How has that also influenced you to be a great person within yourself? to carry that forward into maybe your family that you have? At first, when I was a young man, it was very, it was very um, tough to fit in, so to speak. I mean, you're not African enough for the African side and you're not black enough for the American side. You know what I'm saying? Um, I remember growing up, just, just to name one challenge growing up, um, I had some of my African American peers would say, you know, talk about my last name being Kulu, and uh, they would say Kulu, Zulu, Voodoo, and all of these things, so right? <laughs> African booty scratcher and things like that. 
And it would kind of bother me as a kid. So I would tell my mom, I'm like, mom, you know, why can't I take on your maiden name? Why do I have to go through all of this? And her maiden name was Smith. And um, she was like, you know, be very proud of who you are, of your royal ancestry that you come from. Because, you know, for her, she said, I don't even know where I'm from, particularly in Africa, but I know my my origins trace back to Africa. So be be very proud of your royal history and speak highly of it when people say things like that to you. And that kind of created like a nice fire in me growing up to just constantly educate when when people would ask me, did you have monkeys in your backyard? (laughs) (laughs) That stuff, it, it, it used to make me laugh, but. At first, it it hurt my feelings a lot, and uh, I had to just rise above that, so to speak, and just use it as an opportunity to educate. So where did your journey, I know that obviously your parents have been such a substantial influence within your life, but where did your journey for you begin, for you to say, I want to be an author, I want to be an historian, and and you have so many other things, I do believe, as podcasting, you love music. You are a naturally gifted person. Where did your journey begin in all of these areas? So, as I mentioned before, it, that created like that that hard work in me. You know that those those things that I went through as a child, right? Um, so I got into the music industry, and uh, that was like really big for me. I mean, I did that for about fifteen years of my life. Um, just I always just love how. Um, hip hop artists were able to really express themselves. Like my favorite was Tupac growing up, and I love Tupac. I love Dr. Dre. I love Biggie, but mainly I love like Tupac, DMX, those guys who really express their pain. You know, um, so I kind of fell in love with that, and I created this content called Pain Music, where a person would express themselves because you know you don't really see men truly express their you know their sadness. Yeah. You know, you know, you, you see a lot of rage in hip hop. So I wanted to be a very real hip hop. So I created this team called Teflon Entertainment. And that was like the beginning of my journey. And I wanted to make something that stood for unity, right? So when you think about Teflon, you think about bulletproof vests, right? So I wanted to have that record label meant like we can't be, we're, we're untouchable, but we're united. And I didn't want to say bulletproof record, record records or whatever because yeah. that just sounded too negative. So I took what was inside of the bulletproof vest, Kevlar and Teflon, and said, "Hey, Teflon, Teflon ENT sounds good," you know. So I went with that—that that survival mentality, the unity mentality—and I ran a label for about 15 years, and it was it was it was a great journey, traveling from city to city. Dealing with different personalities, which was a challenge. <laughs> oh, trust me, I know. Especially within the creative industry, you do yeah. get some personalities. <laughs> yeah. So that that truly um, took me down a long journey uh, into that. But it, that helped me really learn how to network in the hip-hop industry. Because, like, it's so many rappers and there's so many groups out there that it's you really have to learn networking to really be effective. Yes. So after that journey was pretty much over, I got into film. And I was kind of saddened how the group ended and um, due to disagreements within the, about 
whether we should sign to a record label or not. Um, so that ended, and I just made a film out of it. We had so much footage of what we did, of our travel, of our interviews, of our shows. So for, for closure for me, this is how I got into the film industry. Ah, okay. So I took all that footage and I, I hired a guy to put it all together. And I came up with the rise and fall of Teflon ENT. That took me to film festivals. Um, that took me to a, a whole nother journey, got me into acting in, in, in the first purge. Yeah. And and doing a 24-hour film. Um, and from there on, that linked me back to my African history when my father got really sick. So when he got sick, I just remember his words saying, you know, you've articulated your way through arts in so many different ways. What about doing something for your actual lineage? Bridging that gap between African-Americans and Africans in which you used to tell that I used to tell him that, hey, you know, dad, you know, it seems like African-Americans don't understand Africans yes. and Africans don't understand African-Americans. So I was going to be this bridge because I'm both, you know, to bridge the gap. So we both learn to understand each other and work as a diaspora. Wow, that's amazing. Talk to me about unconditional love for what you do when it comes to being creative and within history. The reason why I ask this is just so, can you explain what both of them mean to you? So you have unconditional love for what you do, but you are so creative. But how do you blend both of them and make something unique out of it? It's a very good question. See, the thing about unconditional love, I believe love is like a combination word. And, and sacrifice is also not thrown in when it comes to love, but it should be. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about love. You're talking about um, fighting for something. You're talking about... Um, just like it's your inner being like you can't live without it you know um so i would say that's unconditional love so it would be sacrifice it would be honesty it would be giving your all it would be um just caring about the creative arts of it you know um being very passionate about it believing in it so those are all things to me that describe love you know um but sacrifice is something that we don't hear when it comes to love. You know, uh, love true. doesn't just work for you. You know what I'm saying? You got to work for it. So um, I think uh, that's what unconditional love for what you do is. Now, adding the creativity side to it, I always enjoyed the process of creating. Like, imagine something is just nothing. You have a white sheet of paper and it has no writing on it yet. It starts there. As you start to write, it starts to develop into something. Yes. And then as the writing continues, you can connect it with another person. They can read it. They can enjoy it. And then they can, you can make them smile. You can, you know, it just is such a beautiful thing when it comes to creativity. And it used to remind me, I compare it to making a beat, right? Mm -hmm. So it starts with a, with a clap. It starts with a snare. It starts with a tick. Um, and then you add some eerie sounds to it, and then it, then you add some lyrics to it, and next thing you know, it's on the radio, yep. and people are dancing to it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> that's the creative power, the, the, the power of creativity, and that's exactly how I took the same approach when it came to writing. 
Yeah. It just starts with one word. You know, it starts there and it starts with an idea, then a word, you know, pen and a pad, and then you just build on it. You don't rush yourself. You build, you study, you do your history. If you're writing about something historical um, and you just keep going, constant refinement, constant getting better. and You just work at it every day. I mean, I remember writing my book. It was like getting up in the middle of the night. I remember writing films. That's how my creative process goes. Sometimes I'm watching something similar and I'll come up with my own different spin on it. And uh, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, write a little bit down and I'll come back to it. You know, so as a creator, I've always kind of like done that when it came to music and writing as well. That's amazing. I love the way that you broke that down. Thank you so much. Can you talk to me more about history and how people themselves feel like history can also affect them and our lives and the next generation as well? Because this is so important. Although we are trying to path away so that the next generation can come in, how do you feel that what we do now will either hinder or help the next generation so they can create a path for the next generation to come in and learn about history and what it's all about and our ancestors. How do you feel about it? History is so important to knowing where you're going, knowing your history. Um, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's absolutely important. Here's the thing about American history when it comes to Africa, right? It's always been a distorted view. Uh, and it's always been spoken from a Eurocentric um, way. It's always been taught that way. It's, you know, how can you define Africa through Eurocentric? You know what I mean? You have to define Africa through Africans, you know. And I felt that it was very important when you look up a lot of African civilization stories, you don't see them written by African, you know, writers. So, it's, it's definitely important for the youth to see themselves in position of uh, greatness, positions of glory, uh, positions of royalty, and have that balance also where there's some pain in there as well. Yes. Um, and that's, that's what the children need, not just black children. All children need to see that um, so we can start to balance out the playing field when it comes to uh where we're trying to go with history. I mean, you just can't focus on one small, narrow form of history. But this is what the curriculums throughout the world are doing. They're focusing on ancient Greece being the foundation, yes. ancient Rome being the monarch. And from then on, you have other civilizations that, minor civilizations that grew into the Anglo-American power that we have today. So it's very important to know your history, to know the, the, the true lineage, how Africa really affected the entire world. It's major. It's major to the diaspora to be able to reclaim that because it comes with a self, self uh, a sense of pride. Yes. You know, Brother um, Robin, Professor Robin Walker, he wrote about this. And he said that the working class African-American has high self-esteem but low group esteem. Now, what group esteem is, is how you feel about your culture, religion, or race, okay? So if a person has low, they have high self-esteem, but their group esteem is low, what they think about their people is very low. You know, that's not 
balanced. But if you were to look at a Chinese person, they may have a balanced form of self-esteem. But their group esteem is so high, they're always looking to come up. You get what I'm saying, how that goes? And that, that was very interesting to me on how to really balance out that playing field when it comes to self-esteem and group esteem in the African diaspora. And the, the main thing came down to miseducation and re-educating who we are, who we were in the ancient days to help boost that group esteem, so to speak. That's amazing. Talk to me, are you, okay, my first question for you is, are you spiritual? Absolutely. And the reason why I ask this is purely because how do you feel your spirituality has helped you on your journey to be who you are and create what you have created within yourself, within your family and within your profession to do what you do every day? Absolutely. I definitely come from a very balanced uh, spiritual place. My father being directly from home. Um, he was Baptist. My mother from here, she was uh, at one point Protestant, but then she became a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So those those two and my stepmom was Catholic. So um, all of those things combined, um, you're talking about how, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are people who freely go and teach the Bible. So being a, a quality teacher, you know, is something that I took from 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 that. Um, and also just I believe all African people have a, a big, strong sense of spirituality. I think um, I think spirituality is so deep rooted into who we are as people, uh, even when we mention music, like how the beat connects with a person's spirit. You know what I'm saying? When you walk through the clubs and you go and you look at people and you, you can see them, they're, they're closing their eyes, they're really feeling the music. It's like in their soul, it hits their chest and it just it just elevates, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And they feel in that song. Um, that's spiritual to me. Um, just having that invincible connection um, with whether it be a person or uh, the, the creative thing that you may be doing. I think that's spiritual and that's definitely something I am through many different forms of the art, but uh, definitely through music, definitely through religious beliefs, and as well as just natural spirituality, you know, connection to others, love to try to bring unity amongst the world. I I want people to understand, especially the listeners, I really want them to understand what a historian does and is, because a lot of the time when people hair historian they just think you know history and it's already there and they don't know the background and the work that you put in to do what you do every day to bring to the table to say this is what we found look where we are from and even if somebody else says like you say oh we are from this and we are like this no this is where i have evidence of where we are from how do you break down for the listeners what you do as an individual and how it is on a daily basis for you because it is hectic. (laughs) It is. It is hectic. How would you break down the process of what you do as a profession? It is truly a study. It's truly deep study. You know, you just can't just, you know, there's so many things that they call pseudoscience out there. You have to line up, you know, 
all of these theories that are coming out, you have to line them up with sources. If you don't have the sources to prove it, it makes it very difficult. Now, there, there are many documents of many different things that Africans did around the world, so it requires a lot of travel. It requires you know, opinions from other scholars. It requires uh, understanding Eurocentrism and also understanding what has been tabled or labeled Afrocentrism. So you have to try to find that fine line with that um, sifting through, but really checking fact-checking and resource checking. It's really tough when it comes to what Eurocentrics has, have done. It made it really difficult for African scholars to, to rise to the occasion because at the end of the day, let's just be real, you know, the world science proves Afrocentrism, right? Science, uh, Professor Leakey and Mary Leakey, the, came, discovered the first human remains in the Eritrea, uh, Kenya area, um, which we know today as Lucy. So even science is Afrocentric, so to speak. So, but in our culture, it's kind of like demonized um, to be called an Afrocentric, so to speak. Uh, Sheikh Anti Diop was considered an Af- uh, a, um, a, a Af- pan-Africanist, so to speak. Um, so it's a it's very difficult, but at the same notion, I think you have to um, be hard on what you truly believe as your yes. core. Um, you have to understand where miseducation comes, then you have to go through the background on that, and you have to put that into your uh, you know, a- into your studies as well. And then the next step is getting it out getting people to hear it. So it's it's a process. It's a lot of interviews. It's a lot of questions. It's a lot of seminars. It's a lot of studies. It's a lot of asking questions. And it's a lot of sometimes rubbing people the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, if that's the only way we're going to get to the truth, like, that's true. so be it. So be it. Most definitely. Who are some of the authors that you read and inspire you to create before we get onto your book because I'm really excited to get there yeah. but, <laughs> but before we get there I really want to understand a bit more about you and what you read because what you read also gives you the wisdom within your mind to also create at the same time so who are some of the authors that inspire you to go in that direction to be an author I, I liked uh, John uh, John Grisham uh, I liked his stories. Um, I love Roots, loved Roots. Right. Um, I love the um, the autobiography of Malcolm X. That was really big for me. Um, I loved Shaka Zulu by oh, Joshua yeah. Sinclair. That was huge. Um, I, I also enjoyed like the mythology of like stuff like Harry Potter, uh, Three Hundred. Um, the destruction of the black civilization of black civilizations by Sheka Anti Dia. That's a really good one. Um, I loved "They Came Before Columbus" by Ivan Van Serkma. Um, the African presence, the Africa and the discovery of America by Leo Wiener. Um, books by Dr. Henry Clark, uh, Ilyaza Shabazz, who is Malcolm X's daughter. She's doing wonderful things right now. Um, so just, just a, a lot of those books. And, and also I love like, 
I was a big comic fan, so I love things like Black Panther, X-Men, and all of those to mix in there. I got to throw that in there. Some people might consider that not intelligent, but whatever. Of you know, you got to have is. your fun with it, too. Yeah, of course it is. I think <laughs> I think you can pull something out of everything. It's just about mm-hmm. your mind. It's just about your mind. Not, in have, not having that ego and that ignorance towards right. a subject or something. It's just about, in life we take so so many things so seriously we must have some downtime for ourselves to restore ourselves as beings and i think that i think that is so important so here's my exciting part let's talk about your book okay (laughs) yes and i love when i get books i love reading books i love the knowledge it gives me and i love to be able to share that knowledge with other people to enhance their lives to help them evolve too so Tell me about your book, I, Black Pharaoh, Rise to Power. You have yes. a black piece of paper in front of you and you say, <laughs> I'm going to do this. <laughs> right. What, what was your first imagination? What was the first thing that came to your mind? Well, originally, um, the, the big thing was for me was I really wanted to do a story connecting to Shaka Zulu. Yes. Um, Shaka Zulu was my great ancestor. So if you look at the name Kulu and you see Zulu, you can see the only difference is a letter, right? So we're connected to the Bantu speakers of, of South Africa and Central Africa as well. So um, I wanted to tell a great story about a warrior king, and I wanted it to match with a great queen as well to be able to align those stories to tell for both sides of the diaspora. Um, and uh, as I was working on this Shaka Zulu film, I ran into some copyright issues with the original 1986 Shaka Zulu film, um, which had been sold, the, the rights and the license to it had been sold so many times. So not able to do that the way I wanted to do it, I kind of just like tabled that for a while. And then I said, you know, how do I really make an impact? Yeah. And as my time studying about Egypt for so long, I remember my first project I did, third grade, whatever the case may be. And my father and I put together a clay pottery version of King Tut. And we spray painted the the head gold, but the face was black. And I remember uh, my teacher like, well, this is beautiful, but it's historically ac- inaccurate. And I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I was always raised to believe that the pharaohs were black. Yeah. But that also like took me on a journey to then, just remembering that that happened to me. So um, I said, you know what? Let me find out what, what let me let me read some real interesting stories from Egypt. Um, and that took me down a long path of discovering about the region being called Kemet, uh, studying Dr. Henry Clark, Sheka Antidiop, Ivan Van Serpma, Dr. Ben, Rikudi Rashidi. Uh, there's so many different scholars that spoke on this and just following their work and also just looking for the right story. And I came across uh, Moses III, who was considered to be the greatest conquering pharaoh that Egypt had ever seen. Now, if you compare Moses III to Shaka, Shaka was an expansionist of South Africa. 
Tutmosis was an expansionist of North Africa and they both were African. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I think I like the story. So as you get into Tutmosis, you learn so much more about his predecessor, his stepmother, Queen Hepshetsut. And this was an African woman who had the longest reign as a woman. When we hear about Egypt, we hear so much about Cleopatra, the mystery of Nefertiti, but we don't hear about Hatshepsut. Now, this was a woman who ruled 20 to 25 years. So at absolute power, I felt that that was a very interesting story to combine this great warrior pharaoh and the rise of this great queen who ruled for 20 years and established peace and security in Egypt. So um, I, I used all my resources and I put together a historical fiction, I Black Pharaoh Rise to Power. And um, when we decided to find the right person for the cover, we really wanted to portray that strong African look, you know. Yeah. Um, so we took a Sudanese brother and we utilized him to represent the pharaoh and if you know sudan and egypt they're yeah. very much connected so um so that's that was the beginning the cover once we had the cover done the the writing just just commenced you know so um and just went on from there you know as the pen hit the, the pad i wanted to um, make an african version of things like Braveheart or 300. I want to show us in our glory what we did and uh, and bring that to the world and bring that to the diaspora. I felt that it was time to see something more royal about Africa than slavery. How did you break down all the characters within your book? So as you were writing and you're going through each character and you define them to be strong to be powerful, how did you in your mind say, okay, this character is going to be like this? Because writing is not easy. It's, it's something that I believe has to be given as a gift to you or you either have to work extremely hard to nurture that gift. But when you were writing the book, how did you break down each character to say that you were happy with it? Well, historically... You know, um, I know this is labeled as historical fiction, but I really want to capture the personality of the main characters. Tell Moses the third is conqueror. What makes you a conqueror, right? What makes you want to expand your kingdom beyond your normal lands? Yeah. So I, I had to tap into that for what 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 makes a man just want to to grow. Sometimes it's some sort of childhood pain. Um, Sometimes, other times, it was just something that was just passed down from line to line. And really, and same thing with Hapshetsu, is to figure out how did this queen rise to power in a, a world dominated by men, in a misogynist you know, world, so yeah. to speak. Um, obviously, it took some resistance from this, from this African woman to do that. So defining the two main characters was very, very important in establishing the created characters. Um, so yeah, I think once you have those main characters defined based off of, of a historical standpoint, some of the things they said throughout inscriptions, one of the things that Hapshetsu said 
in one of the Egyptian inscriptions, she said, I have raised up, I have raised up what was destroyed by the Asiatics. And when she said that, that is something that's, that's a, that's a proud woman right there. She's letting (laughs) you know, like I have, I have raised up Egypt. I have brought it back to world dominance. So I'm here. This is what she mentioned about herself. Um, so just little characteristics like that, um, you want to, that's a part of her personality. And you just expand on that proud mentality that this queen Hapshetsu had, as well as Tutmos, as uh, you look at some of his inscriptions, very similar as in a very proud speech of who he was and what he thought of his people. Um, and and how his view was on the rest of the world. So you can take that and you morph that into what this person was like, whether he was egotistical or whether he was humble, whether he met a a situation that he was humble. You use your own creative mind to try to figure that out. How do you feel that as a man from a man's point of view, how do you feel that women feel knowing that a woman was in charge and how do you think that helps women today because the most beautiful thing about life and change is that more and more women are becoming the forefront of being able to empower other women to do great things but from a man's point of view and this is so important how do you feel that women are conquering and changing the world and helping men to also evolve to do better it's very key to even the world today is still some more than likely a, the same as it was in those days, just yeah. kind of like worded different. Right. It's yeah. still a misogynistic world um, to male dominated, so to speak. But it's very important, just like it's important for Africans of the diaspora to connect with ancient African history. It's very important for women to connect with their royal history. African African women were the first women to rule. Let's get that very clear. Um, when we hear about black women all over the diaspora, we hear about this strength, right? We hear about how strong these the things that they have endured, and you know, just being that strong woman. It's not going to take no crap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they go, <laughs> you know. But why? Why are black women considered that way? Well. Black women had to be strong in in order to hold these positions of royalty in worlds that were not dominated by women. You know, they were dominated by men. So obviously to stand out for women like Queen Imani Reyes, Queen Hepshetsu, Yaa Ashantawe, Queen Nandi. I mean, we go from North Africa to South Africa with some Queen Amina, um, Queen of Sheba, all of these great women who did remarkable things throughout the world, um, it's very notable to notice that they were all African before any women liberation movements occurred, that they were doing um, monumental things to shape the world that we see today. So the woman's role is, is so important when it comes to history. And it's history that you would never know if you don't really research it. But that that also like really contributes to the strength of African women. You know, the, if once an African woman discovers that she was the original uh, Amazon woman, she was the original Wonder Woman, 
once you connect to that, it, it, it just creates that power, it creates that strength, it creates that will to go on. So it's very important to know that great history in order to reclaim it and know where you're going in the future. If there was one question that people don't normally ask you, Emmanuel, that you feel that you should be asked or want to be asked, that people rarely ask you, what would that question be? How does African history connect with the entire world? I think that is something that's very, very important. When I do a a lot of my seminars, I think, again, science proves, right, that life started in Africa, according to science, right? So that means that all people share in Africa. So it's going to take a collective human society to really come to the conclusion that we all have somewhat degraded Africa and we have to give back to the motherland and restore its true historical qualities. So that's one of the main questions I would say is African history belongs to everyone because African history is history. It's all of our history. So I think that is a, a, a very key question to ask for for anyone. And that's what I always try to throw out there is to push for the unity in, in coming together to restore the truth to uh, African antiquity. What are you most curious about as a historian, as a publisher, as, as a music lover, importantly, and also as, you know, you do so many things as a podcaster. Mm-hmm. You have so many things under your belt. <laughs> as right. I look on my list, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> 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 well, because you do so much, Emmanuel, what are you next, or even within what you do, most curious about doing? I've always just like envisioning what were people doing in those days that we consider today to be primitive. But um, when you look at like pyramid building, right? It, the big question is how those things were, were done. You know, yeah. I mean, aligned with the stars, you know, just great artifacts that were done throughout ancient Africa. Um, I love trying to place myself in that time. So I kind of think of it as a historian, you have to kind of live in this time travel mind state um, where you're thinking about the foods, you're thinking about the smell of the foods, you're thinking about the smell of the air. Um, you're thinking about how these individuals interacted with each other, how they spoke, you know, even down to, um, you know, the music that they had, what was music used for? Um, so, and also their interaction with other people, because you know, this thing that we have today called racism, that did not exist in ancient history. What you had in, in the ancient days was called culturalism, tribalism. Um, where if we didn't believe the same thing, we could be enemies. If our custom wasn't similar, we could be enemies. So just just looking at how the differences of the world were compared to today, I think is very important. And that's very important when you understand history, because many forms of Eurocentrism is to see the world as Europe was. And that's not how things were done. You know, so when, in order to really get to the bottom of it, you have to see it from, uh, so to speak, an Afrocentric viewpoint. You have to see it for how the people of that region lived, 
what music did they play, what foods did they eat, what gods did they worship, all of those things. So the most fascinating part for me is morphing yourself into that mentality. Most definitely. Talk to me about education because this is something that coincides together. Do you think that people should go out and get an education or do you feel that talent is enough to get you where you need to be or do you feel that you need a combination of the two in order for you to inspire yourself and excel to do and be who you want to be? Exactly. Combinations is always good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, combinations. When I when we mentioned earlier, we mentioned music. We were talking about yeah. Tupac. What made Tupac so great was combinations. You know, he may not have been the most witty rapper. He may not have been quote unquote the so called most metaphorical rapper. But his combinations, the fact that he had the passion, the fact that he had his own image. The fact that his mother was uh, a Black Panther, uh, he comes from that civil rights movement because he spoke for the people in his neighborhood. Those those combinations like really make you good. And we can go to that. We can go to sports. We can talk Michael Jordan. We can talk LeBron James, guys or Muhammad Ali, guys that were bigger than the, the, the sport they were in particularly. They were just bigger than that, you know. Um, and that comes from those combinations. So I think combinations is, is very clear. It's very, very cool, you know, because when you think about somebody like Malcolm X, right? He had, he, he didn't have a, a high school education as a young man. He went through so much. He went through the street life. Um, he got self-educated. He got educated through the Garveyites. He also got educated through the Nation of Islam. And, you know, all of those combinations got put together into one person, went to prison. All of those things that he went through, he used them as a tool to all of them. He used all of them to teach people, to reach people, and to also bring forth change in the world that he lived in. So combinations is very, very key. You know, you may have a person that's very educated, but haven't has not experienced anything. That's true. That, you know... You know, but when you have someone who's who, who's educated and has experienced many different things, that's what we call wisdom. And my father defined wisdom as knowledge plus experience. So yeah, you can mine. have knowledge, but if you have no experience to go with your knowledge, you're not particularly going to be wise. And there's more than one way to experience things. I mean, you can experience things through living it yourself. Someone close to you could have lived it, that it resonated with you. Seeing it, hearing it, hearing about it is another way to experience things. So I think all of those things uh, come into play when it comes to um, being a combination person, as you mentioned. Definitely. What have you overcome that has changed the way you think and feel about interacting with people? Obviously, when I started this this uh, path to do a book about ancient Egypt came with a lot of, it, it took a lot of tough skin, so to speak, because, I mean, I got so many racist death threats just for my book cover, you know, showing, displaying the Sudanese man as the pharaoh. I think that kind of shocked the world. And I wanted it to do that um, because the ancient Egyptians depicted themselves as African. You know, so I think that is the most vital 
proof that we have of the black origins of ancient Egypt. So that was a challenge for me, dealing with that. Okay, am I doing the right thing? The world is against, a lot of people are against me on this. Even people in Egypt, the Cairo region of Egypt were against me. Waking up to those messages, seeing that you were slaves, you're trying to steal our history, seeing things like that uh, definitely bothered my spirit for a period of time. But I had great people around me to tell me yes. what you're doing is, is striking people one way or the other. It's convicting people. Continue to do it. Do it elegantly. Do it intelligently. And don't lash back at these individuals. So taking control, control of myself, uh, being as courageous as I possibly can be, and, and taking a stand. When you take a stand against a system of white supremacy, uh, yes. Eurocentrism, sometimes you have to take that stand alone in order for others to see what you're doing and say, hmm, he, you know, he's courageous, but, you know, he's, he's continuing this path. He's yeah. not stopping no matter what's in his way. And then other people start to join in and support. That's true. That's definitely true. What is the best advice you have ever received from somebody and how has it helped your life to grow? You know, my father always used to say, was, was, was 400 years of slavery compared to 3,000 years of glory? And that has really shaped what I think of Africa and the African diaspora. You know, I don't look at just where we are now. I look at where we were. I look at how we fell out of it. And now I want to re-romanticize us with yes. our history. Um, because we need that, you know, even with, you know, the, the Germans, the Jews, when they went through the Holocaust, they had to re-identify with what made them great. You know, and I think that's, the Chinese also did the same thing. They they found their beautiful culture and they hang on, hang, hung on to it. When Europe went into their dark ages, they hung on to ancient Rome, That's hung true. on to ancient Greece, and they used it to rise, rise the Anglo-American power, which we see today. So the same for us. We have to uh, be educated. We have to re-educate ourselves. We can't expect for it to be done um, or anyone else to give it to us. That's true. We have to do it as a community and uh, be able to freely teach our people. And this is why I love coming on different podcasts, um, different news outlets to really spread this yeah. uh, abroad to the diaspora and to everyone, because it is it is history for everyone. I mean, a lot of my seminars has so many different variety of people that show up and, and clap and enjoy yeah. learning the history of ancient Africa. So it's definitely high demand, especially this time of year. Um, but it does take a lot of courage and there's a lot of obstacles that comes with it. Well, all the great people have to go through obstacles to make a change in the world. Otherwise, without them, we wouldn't have change. Exactly. Definitely. Exactly. When, when was the last time you felt totally at peace with yourself? I, you know, I've, I've always had a measure of peace, but more recently than not, um, you know, I, I feel at peace when I pray to God and I watch things start to manifest. You know, um, when I have concerns, I give it to God on what to do in my life. So I would say um, 
once my book was complete, it's a nice form of peace <laughs> because it's no more waking up in the middle of the night. Um, it's no just jotting down ideas for a while. Now it's like marketing. Now it's getting it out there to the world. Um, so it, it transforms. It goes from that creative process to getting people to really see uh, the work that you did. So um, that's when you can rest. But then it comes back to that creative process once you get started again. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to anybody wanting to go into any of the professions that you are in? Or if they want to go into them, how would you give them advice for them to excel, to tell them to not give up, to tell them to keep pushing on? Because there are always times in our life, Emmanuel, where we feel stuck or stagnant or we feel like we don't have that support to be able to do what we want to do in life. What advice would you give to those people? Study the lane that you're trying to be in and be thorough. Um, If you don't study what you're in, and then you have to have your own self-identity, how to assert yourself of doing it. Look at the things of the past. As I mentioned, I mentioned Dr. Henry Clark. I mentioned Shekhar Andy Diab. I mentioned Malcolm X. I mean, we can talk Dr. Dr. King. We can talk Tupac. We can talk Muhammad Ali. All of these men did courageous things. Rosa Parks, Harriet Tubman. We can go on and on. Of all these people, Patrice Lumumba, Kwame Nkrumah, um, Nelson Mandela, you know, Hello uh, Selassie, all of these different men who did things and, and had to go through things to get to where they are. So look to those quote unquote ancestors for what they did throughout their history and their approach, where they went well at and where they went wrong at. And then try to bring forth your personality through a similar lane to rise up. So, um, that's that's what I do. I think sometimes people, when they are studying, they take on the mindset of the person they're studying. It's very, very, you, you, you're, you know, you have to draw a line with that. You have to know who you are. You know, I'm not Malcolm X. I can't do what Malcolm X did. Um, I can only do what I can do um, to push forward uh, a, a similar agenda. So you have to you have to know who you are. And you also have to know what the goal is. And you can't give up. You cannot give up once you believe something in your heart. It's almost like when you, you love someone, you don't quit on them. You love your child. You don't give on up on them. You may hear some bad news about them here and there. They're getting in trouble in school. You just don't stop. You don't stop teaching. Every day is a, is a teaching opportunity to learn, to get better, to grow. Um, and then there's humility humility. You know, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we're not 100% right. So being able to admit that is the easiest way to silence your critics when you do make a mistake. So these are things that um, I think are very important. Not giving up, being fearless, being vigilant, keep pushing through, see the goal beyond the pain, see the goal. I think that is the, the biggest thing when it comes to building a brand when it comes to rising up and also when it comes to being a person of great renown that's that's exceptional advice that is exceptional advice so i want to ask you this question also if you were on a desert island and you could bring with you and i have a feeling i have 
I know what you're going to say in a way, which is kind of cool. If you could bring with you one activist, one president, and let's say one musician, who would you bring on your island to have a conversation with and why? Um, musician, it's going to be a toss-up between Pac and Bob Marley. Oh, uh, okay. It could be Pac, Bob Marley. I would love to print Prince Brain as well. Prince was like a musical <laughs> genius, right? Yeah, Played definitely. every single instrument. Like, <laughs> so um, I love Michael. love Michael too, but I'm going to have to go with Prince because yeah. he, he really studied the science of music, right? Um, president, um, I, I, you know, I, I, we all loved Obama, right? We loved Obama. I mean, Patrice Lumumba was a very special character that, um, I, I really admired his courage, um, as a person. And what was the other one? I'm sorry. Activist. Activist. Well, I always said <laughs> that if I were to in the '60s, that I would be down with Malcolm X. So fair enough. There it is, you know. The, you know, enough. and if you look at the, if you really look at my the people that I chose, they're all very similar. You know what I yes. mean? So with very that fire, so. with that passion, with their loyalty, you know, um, those are characteristics that I I, I love. The passion, the loyalty the love, the dedication, and the willing to, even if it means putting your life on the line for the common goal to be met. These were men that all did that. And that means something to me when it comes to, you know, how far is a person really willing to go for what they believe in? And those men were exemplary in that. If there was one song that was the soundtrack of your life, what one song would you choose and why would you choose that particular chunk? Ooh-wee! <laughs> <laughs> ah. ah, music, music. Ooh, so many songs. It's so hard to put. Um, Changes. Changes. Fair enough. By Tupac. Um, that was such a, a powerful song to me. Through every dark night, there's a bright day after that. You know, um, that's that is something that always resonates with, with me when it comes to lyrics. That song, you know, talks about a lot of issues that African Americans are facing, that Africans are facing throughout the diaspora. Um, so, in order to change within yourself, even though the world is against you, you have to make changes for the betterment of yourself, for your people, for future generations, in order to really affect the world. To make the you know, so I, I really love that song changes. Definitely. I have two more for you. My second to last one, Emmanuel, is what would you like your legacy to be when you feel like you've done everything you could and can? How would you like people to remember you? Just how you remember people of greatness? I would like to be remembered as a man who stood on whatever he believed and fought for whatever he believed um, and and, and was and was absolutely dedicated to it and couldn't be knocked off his rock on it. Um, no matter what, faced with oppression, faced with racism, uh, faced with you know uh, discontentment with other scholars, whatever the case may be, um, I stood for truth. 
that is something that I would like to be remembered as, as a man who was fearless, as a man who triumphed, as a man who was willing to go through whatever it took to uh, overall better and further my people. I love that. And my final one for you is, Emmanuel, just as I've been blessed to be able to have you on the Us People podcast, how can other people get in touch with you so that they can communicate with you and get to know who Emmanuel is? You can find me on uh, my website, www.iblackpharaoh.com. You can also find me on Instagram, which is I am underscore Kulu. I also have a secondary uh, Instagram account for the business called at I Black Pharaoh on Instagram as well. Uh, Twitter is the same. I am underscore Kulu. And there's also uh, a business one for at I Black Pharaoh. You can also find me on Facebook at Manuel Kulu. Um, I Black Pharaoh Universe on Facebook as well. Um, so I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm also on Clubhouse right now as Emmanuel Kulu, which Clubhouse has served as a great platform to connect the diaspora because um, otherwise you wouldn't be able to just like physically talk to yeah. people abroad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can you can you can DM them, but now you just go in a room and you're talking to people from the UK. You're talking to people. Canada, you're talking to brothers and sisters in Africa, you're talking to people in Asia, Australia, and you're talking about matters like so um, conversations that matter, you know, so using all of those platforms to really um, continue to push for the movement of restoring the true uh, antiquity of African history. So Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming on the Us People podcast today for letting bringing history back into my life also and letting me know that you can evolve as a person as a being no matter where you're from or who you are I thank you so much for coming on I really really do have gratitude for you thank you sister so much for having me it's perfect guys thank you so much for listening to the us people podcast and please remember you can subscribe on spotify itunes google play and any other platform that you prefer listening to please also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can also donate to the us people podcast by simply going on the savvy rocks website or just typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast guys thank you so much for listening stay happy stay positive and as always please continue to be kind to one another as I hear us <laughs> and I know it's about us and we will cross path soon <laughs> all right I say I when we say in, in Kevin when we say in the Europa people they say ashe which means so be it <laughs> so let it be yeah ashe so be it <laughs> all right have a blessed one sister